Hello and welcome to Meet My Potential podcast where we talk to people from around the world to ignite and inspire you with leadership tips. This is your host Deepa Natarajan from Friends. In this episode, we will explore what is imposter syndrome with Claire Jose. Imposter syndrome is that negative self-talk when you ask yourself the question, who am I? Who am I to be great? Who am I to do this job? Who am I to apply for that post? It is when you think you are not who you actually are. We all have those limiting voices and Claire says that we don't have to actually live with those voices and that we can actually turn them around. Claire is a professional speaker and author of 7 books. She is specialized in helping business leaders and high achievers to clear their self-sabotaging thoughts and behaviors caused by the imposter syndrome. Her latest book is called Ditching Imposter Syndrome was published in 2019. And towards the end of the episode Claire shares one very simple and effective tip wherein in 60 minutes you can actually learn to turn down or turn away those negative imposter syndrome voices so stay tuned and let's welcome Claire. Hi Deep it's great to be here with you. So you've written so many books and your recent book Ditching Imposter Syndrome Tell us a little bit what that is about. So, imposter syndrome is that 3 a.m. self-talk of what if they find out I'm not good enough? What if they realize I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, it's just fluke? What if they realize I don't know as much as I should? It's that self-talk that goes beyond self-doubt that can become completely crippling and it's often more pronounced in somebody who is outwardly confident and successful. So, I wrote the book because I've specialized in this for 15 years and it was on the back of a research study I did because when I decided to write the book I'd been nagged by my peers and my masterminders for so long to do it. I thought well I'll just check out the latest research and I was looking specifically at my UK market and there wasn't any large scale research study done ever. So that's what we did last year. We ran a 2000 person research study and that and my 15 years of experience on how to really clear imposter syndrome so you don't have to pretend anymore so you can finally feel good enough and step up to be that leader you know you were born to be that is what the book then delivers wow all right i i think we all have that little voice in our head that says you're not good enough oh i don't <laughs> think you're going to get this right oh the presentation doesn't look as that good enough oh i let me just make those little tweaks and it is just never ending well you can actually put an end to it and that is what i discovered when i so i used to be an engineer as i know you know good you know we're a familiar familiar territory there um but when i then moved into the work i do now my very first clients had something i later discovered was imposter syndrome and one of the problems comes when we try to use logic to clear imposter syndrome because it's really at that deep identity core level and when we try to get past it with looking at you know common advice list your successes go and rationalize why what you're saying to yourself in your head is nonsense that doesn't work because this is down at that identity level with the part of your unconscious mind that actually wants to keep you safe so your logical mind is at the tip of the iceberg and it cannot persuade that bit of you deep down that's trying to keep you safe that it's wrong it's just going to cause what's called the backfire effect that part of your self talk is going to dig its heels in and it's going to look for even more evidence to prove that you're not as good as everybody else and that you only got to where you are through luck so you can actually end up making it worse and this is why people think they're stuck with it forever because they're using mindset level tools to deal with an identity level issue mm. so how does this get in the way at work can you give me an example So in a corporate environment it's somebody who I I I've got my 4Ps model that helps it make it easier for a manager to spot if somebody in their team might be running this and these are behaviors that you're looking for and a change in them 
okay? Because all of us do bits of them naturally, but you're looking for it getting worse. So say somebody gets promoted to a role that finally means they can't ignore that inner voice. You've got perfectionism, procrastination, project paralysis, and people-pleasing. Those are the four Ps. So you might find you've got a member of your team that's a high achiever, that's a rising star, that's been kind of earmarked to really get up to C-suite level. They get promoted and suddenly within weeks, they turn into a micromanaging bully boss because they've set themselves standards that are so unachievably high that they then have to pass on to their team because they are judged based on the performance of their team. So they will start passing that perfectionism down. They will start micromanaging every detail because they have this really deep fear that if somebody in the team makes a mistake, they themselves will then be found out as a fraud and not good enough. And it's quite an existential thing. It's that shame of if everybody sees, then my world falls apart. Yeah. The, the procrastination is where you'll have meeting after meeting with someone and you find that they're very, very busy, but they're not actually making progress. The paralysis, the project paralysis version of it is often somebody who kind of makes it look like they're working on something and you kind of know they're not. And then at the 11th hour, when the deadline can't be moved, they'll pull an all-nighter full of drama to get it done. That's the rabbit in headlights. And then the people-pleasing, it can be taking on work that's not really your domain in order to please others. It can be suddenly changing your or your team's priorities at the last minute because somebody outside asked you to. So these are some of the ways it manifests in the workplace in a team. As an individual, the research study showed that people were not asking for pay rises they knew they deserved. They were not going for promotions that they knew they were capable of. We had a large number of high achievers, particularly women, who were actually jumping ship to another company to go for promotion because if they applied internally, they were scared that if they didn't get it, they'd never be able to show their face at work again, that kind mm. of thing. So it really, we found it's one of three core drivers in the gender pay gap. And also it is a key factor in the lack of gender equity in senior levels of leadership. So it's driving an awful lot. It hits productivity, it hits individual performance, it hits team performance. If your manager suddenly turns into one of these micromanagers or a bully boss projecting that inner pain outwards, you find the rising stars within teams will actually leave because it becomes a toxic working environment. Mm, Wow. Wow. So how do you actually identify them? Do you have like a method The key is to actually look at the words that people are using. So firstly, nobody goes to HR. Very rarely does somebody go to HR saying, hey, I've got imposter syndrome, I need help. So the first thing is actually to open up the conversation. So it will often start when I'm working with a company. So I'll go in and I'll do a talk. Yeah, I'll do a 90 minute training session that's open to anybody in the company. So you open up that discussion because people might talk to their boss about not feeling very confident. Mm -hmm. But confidence is still at that skills and capabilities and behaviors level. Imposter syndrome, because it's about who we see ourselves as being, it's that gap between who we think we need to be and who we think we are. We very rarely actually open up about stuff that deeply at work. So getting the awareness out there, there's this thing called imposter syndrome. It's always been there. It's much worse now because it's easier to compare yourself with others than it ever has been, particularly with social media. So we found it has got worse and it's affecting more people now. You have those discussions. It's then really worth having people in HR and key line managers who are trained in exactly how to spot it, the kind of words people use, the phrases they use, how to tell the difference between imposter syndrome and self. Can you give us some examples of what kind of words and what kind of phrases? Yeah. So anything with I am in, 
okay? I am, I am not good enough. What if they realize they made a mistake hiring me? All this stuff that brings it back to the self, yeah? But people aren't stood there saying, oh, my presentation skills aren't good enough. That would be a confidence and a behavioral issue level, uh, level issue. They're actually sitting there saying, I'm a bad presenter. So when they take feedback and they make it personal, and they internalize it in that way, that's a warning sign it could be imposter syndrome. So I am a bad presenter. I am not good enough. I am bad at managing people. Yeah. Anything with I am in or that's about me, rather than what you can and can't do, that I am stuff is a warning sign it could be imposter syndrome. If you've also seen it affecting the person's performance, affecting the way they're leading their team, affecting the results that they're getting, and you've seen potentially any of those four Ps getting worse, the perfectionism, the procrastination, the project paralysis, and the people-pleasing, there's a strong chance it's worth you having a sit down and saying, hey, this thing called imposter syndrome, what's your 3 a.m. self-taught like? Yeah, But it takes a good manager relationship to be able to do that. Right, right. And the I am actually leads a lot into the identity, like I'm a failure, I'm not good enough. Yes. Who am I to deserve this? Who am I to shine my light on myself? Who am I to actually claim this? I haven't written a book. I'm, mm-hmm. I haven't done the research or, or whatever that I am not. And there is a sense of like, how do I define my own sense of self-identity? Do I define my own self-identity based on my achievements, based on what I get done or based on the relationships that I have? Or... Is it, am I fine just as I am? Yeah, absolutely. The who am I to be doing this? Yeah, who am I to apply for that job? Who am I to earn that much? Who am I to lead that team? Who am I to give that speech at conference? That is another core warning sign phrase. So if you're listening to this right now and that kind of self-talk, particularly that middle of the night, which is when everything else is silent so we hear our (laughs) self-talk rather than drowning it out, if that's there for you, it doesn't have to be that way. There are things that you can do to clear this out. Right. I think we all have variations of the imposter syndrome. Like uh, some people can have imposter syndromes like these kind of voices present 10% of the time for them. And some people can have these voices as loud as very loud and present for about like 60, 70% of their time. The research study actually found that for female respondents, it was 52%. And for male respondents, it was 49% were struggling with imposter syndrome, either on a daily or regular basis in the past year. How do you explain that difference between men and women? I think it's pretty much the same, actually. When you look at the size of the sample, you know, I had 2,000 people, that's near enough the same. You know, I wouldn't argue about 3% on a 2% on a 2,000 person sample. What we found as well is that, because most people, if, I, if I'm doing a talk on this, I'll ask them what percentage they think the men are once you've talked about the women. And most people like the men, oh, 5%, 10%, because men treat this very differently to women. And that causes its own issues. And so what happens with women is, we have that 3am self-talk that we allow to have an influence over the actions and choices that we take. With men, they tend to push it down and push on through because if particularly in a larger corporate, there tends to be an attitude that men have to be stronger and that that masculine style of leadership of your know, whole face the fear and we're just going to push on through and we're just going to get this done is that's the way it needs to be. So what men are doing is they're pushing it down. They're going for these promotions anyway. But if you're feeling this fear inside and you're going for that promotion, that's going to come at a cost. And tragically, one of the things we found in the research study, because it was a qualitative as well as a quantitative study, so it was a full research study, we found that imposter syndrome is a key factor in some CEO level suicide. 
And so what's happening with the men is a lot of them are burning out when they get to C-suite level because they've had these fears and these deep doubts and the identity level issues that haven't been dealt with. And they've had to push on through them. And there always comes a point because the, the body and the mind are trying to protect us. There will come a point where you have to deal with them. So for men, the research showed us that they are basically five times more likely than women to turn to drugs, alcohol and medication to cope with the anxiety and the stress this causes. Women, once they realized what was going on, were 20 times more likely to talk to each other about imposter syndrome than men were. And even if I go into a company and I run a session, 95% of the people in there will be women, even though the split of those struggling (laughs) with it is about 50-50. This is what we need to fix because in so many companies where the majority of leaders are male, that creates that attitude of you have to be emotionally okay no matter what's going on. One of the things I've been working on a lot recently is natural resilience, being able to naturally bounce back instead of pretending that you're okay, instead of pushing on through, being able to walk through the middle of the stress, the worry, the emotions and let them go in a really healthy way so you can show up as all of who you really are rather than shutting down. And this is really what we need to be teaching. Natural resilience means it's so much easier to then clear stuff like imposter syndrome because nobody's having to pretend anymore. But it also doesn't turn you into a business where everybody's sat in the corner with a box of tissues crying. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you actually get through to people, to men especially, who on the outside show that they're very strong, but on the inside, just like women, just like everybody else, have this deep imposter syndrome? So when I'm working, I, I find that women, it works really well in a group program and with men, it's one-to-one. Yeah. So men almost always need that privacy. And what I've found some companies doing that's worked incredibly well for them is they'll actually, they might have me or somebody like me in for a session and then they'll run an internal session where they get their leaders to talk about their own experience and they make sure that they find some brave men because it takes courage yeah to be the trailblazer guy saying actually i feel scared sometimes too and when you see these men being open and honest about i felt like this this is how i handled it and everybody's looking and going wow we had no idea that gives everybody permission to stop pretending to stop pushing this down to get the support they need to clear this out because imagine if you had a workforce where the relationships were better because nobody was projecting their inner pain anymore, yeah? (laughs) So those annoying people weren't as annoying to work with, where the stress levels came down, where performance, productivity, collaboration could improve, and the results and the profit that would then happen. It's just phenomenal when you get that turnaround. But you need the men to stand up and lead on this as well as the women. It is not a girl thing. Right, exactly. Very well said. And what was surprising was in January, I launched a program called Dare to Lead, which is basically Brené Brown's certified program uh, here in France. And uh, 60% of the people who subscribed to the program were men. Wow. So we're, gonna, we're talking about vulnerability. And this whole three-day program is about how can I be more vulnerable? How can I expose my emotions and take the risk to put myself, expose myself out there? And I was really surprised that I had more men sign up than women. And that's wonderful. And part of that is testament to Brené Brown's work. And part of that will also be your background as an engineer, making it much more practical. Yeah? Right, right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and, and part of it will be who, you, who you've got in your audience. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what are some tips that you can give people like having heard this, like we all have that voices and I'm sure like if people out there listening would take a piece of paper and write down like, what are those internal voices that are pulling you down? And like, they're aware of them. Like what are those three things that people can do to reduce that internal noise? Well, there's one, I mean, I have a five-step process that I take oh, people through in the book. The first step is with imposter syndrome is actually clearing out the myths because your unconscious mind won't allow you to make a change that it believes is impossible. Mm-hmm. So clearing out the myths like imposter syndrome is incurable, or I need it to keep me humble, or it gives me that edge when I need to perform. If we can clear all of that out, then it means we're not putting massive, great big obstacles in our way. So that's step one. Step two is learning to tame your inner critic, that self-talk, because you can choose which thoughts to feed. So part of my background is I've been a certified meditation and mindfulness teacher since 2008. So there are things that have been through my inner engineer's common sense (laughs) that I teach that allow people to press pause in under 60 seconds on the inner self-talk and start to turn it around to be positive. And you can actually use neuroplasticity to rewire your brain so that your inner critic starts to become a cheerleader. So that is the first stage there. That's step two. Wow. 60 seconds. That sounds awesome. It's amazing. I'm happy to share that one before the end of this podcast. Oh yeah, of course. Let's do that at the end of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Step three is about clearing out the limiting beliefs, the fears, the excuses, all of that framework that filters the information we take in from the outside world. So if you're running a belief, say, if I'm a terrible presenter, then you will have trained your brain only to process the information from the sensory world that backs up you being a terrible presenter. And if your boss comes to you and gives you all the reasons why you were brilliant that day, you will dismiss it as fluke and luck. So you have to clear those out. And there are ways to do that, but just take a few minutes. It's incredible. Step four then is really about taking off our secret masks. That's the the imposter syndrome level work is all of those times we shut down and we put on armor and pretended to be somebody that we're not is how to find ways to take those masks off safely so you can show up as more of who you really are. And then step five is really about becoming the leader you were born to be. And the reason I like to take people to step five instead of just leaving them at step four is because when you're going through that level of change, you might as well make the change to that next level instead of stopping it okay. It's about deciding, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in the world? Which version of me do I want to become? And having processes to intentionally allow yourself to grow into that version of you. It's a very beautiful question. Who do I want to Mm -hmm. be? Uh, Very often we're protecting a sense of identity in Mm -hmm. our present. But if I turn back the clock and see, I'm not the same person that I was 10 years ago today. Yeah. And 10 years ago, I didn't imagine that I would be the person I am today. And we tend to, or at least our ego tends tends to hold on to the identity of who we are today. And I like the question that you're asking, who do you actually want to become? Exactly. Well, one of the things, if, if people hang around with me, they'll know one of the things I say a lot is that changing the world isn't so much about what you do. It's about who you allow yourself to become. Mm. And it's that allowing ourselves. And that really is step five in the process is allowing yourself to become all of who you really are, to express who you are through the work that you've chosen to do and making the difference that you know you're here to make. Because deep down, pretty much all of us, if we're really driven, we're driven because we want to achieve and to create and we want to do it to in some way have an impact in the world. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether that's through your own business, through a charity, through a corporate role. We all want to feel that we mattered and allowing yourself to become somebody who expresses that version of you is the most potent way to matter, to make that difference. 
Beautiful. Excellent. And before we go ahead and close, reach the end of the episode, take us through the 60-second micro-meditation <laughs> <laughs> that will allow us to tame our inner critique, to tame this imposter syndrome. So one of the things we found in the research study is that a lot of people had tried positive thinking to deal with imposter syndrome and it hadn't worked and it left them feeling like even more of a failure and beating themselves up. And it's because they didn't know that you can't swap from negative to positive thinking. You can't just flip-flop. Because when we think thoughts, it fires off biochemical reactions that flood the body with the hormones, usually adrenaline and cortisol and their friends, that create the emotion. So if you're thinking a negative thought, your body is full of all of the biochemical reactions to support negative thought and negative emotion that drives more negative thoughts. If you then try and think a positive thought while the body is still flooded with those biochemical reactions, it's simply not going to work. It's like trying to yeah. go from first gear to third gear in a car without going through neutral. Yeah, it feels like wearing clothes that are not fitting your size. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so what we do with the 60-second technique is it helps you to go back into neutral. It brings the body's nervous system back into its calm but alert phase instead of high alert. That then means you can consciously choose a different thought, which will start to bring you the positive biochemical reactions and emotions. So this process is A, B, C. Okay. okay? Accept, breathe, choose. The accept is simply, okay, that's a negative thought. It might be an imposter syndrome related thought. It might be a worry thought. By accepting it, instead of trying to push it away and go to war with it, which would give it all of your focus, energy, attention, and make it grow, accepting, you're naming it, which instantly presses pause. You're not engaging with the drama story in the head. And that gives you the moment to then move to B, which is breathe. Right. So accept is like, it's the, tip, the old saying, which goes like, what you resist persists. Exactly. Good old Carl Jung. Right. Exactly. What you resist persists. So if we try to fight that thought and get rid of it and go to war with it and smash it away, yeah. what we're actually saying is, hey, thought, you've got my full focus now. Bring it on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Let's best wrestle. Way to, best way to feed it is to try and fight it. Accept. Yeah. The breathe, this is about resetting the nervous system. So I like to start with three deep sighing breaths. So in through the nose. <sighs> And you just feel yourself coming right back here now, yeah? And three of those, followed by a minute of belly breathing, will reset the nervous system. It resets the biochemical reactions. It calms the mind. That then means you can move to C, which is to consciously choose a thought or a story in your head that makes you feel more positive, that brings that sense of relief. And to allow yourself to feel that thought. So what you're doing is in a minute, you are going from super stress thought to calming the nervous system, which calms the tension in the body and it calms the mind and slows the thinking, to consciously choosing to think a really positive thought. And if you can't think of one, just think of something you're grateful for. Mm. Yeah. I, if I get stuck, I pick up a pen from my desk. And now I love fountain pens. I write all my books in fountain pens in notes and then type them up. I've got a thing for fountain pens. And I will pick up a fountain pen and look at it and just think, wow, that fountain pen helped me to whatever. And I start thinking about how that fountain pen reached me. I think about the person in the shop that decided to order it in. I think about the people at the factory that made it. I think about the designer and I feel grateful to them, the person that had the idea to make a fountain pen like this. I think about the people that, that got the raw materials together. 
And you suddenly go through this chain of maybe 40 or 50 people you feel grateful for because something as simple as a pen is in your hands. And when you allow yourself to feel gratitude, it creates the biochemical reactions in the body that facilitate positive emotions that drive more positive thoughts. So something that simple, the ABC and deep, I'm really happy to do, um, if you think your listeners would like it, I'm happy to do an MP3 that they can download for this to guide it through them as a meditation. Well, that'll be great. Cool. I can give you the link for that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll put that down in the show notes. And it seems very simple. And it And I do trust the efficacy of this method. Yeah. What gets in the way for people to actually take that one minute and focus on their breathing? Something beautiful that psychologists call secondary gain. Yeah. The reason why that crazy behavior keeps me stuck. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It's our hidden unmet needs. So if you find yourself resisting going, no, I'm not doing the ABC. I'm not going to turn this around. I want, this is really important. I need to think this angry thought. You can ask yourself the question. What is that angry thought doing for me? What is the deeper need that is meeting? Secondary gain is the sole reason why so much change work doesn't work. It's because we're trying to change at the behavioral level, but there's something at that deeper, either our values, what's important to us, or at that identity, who am I level, that would then be compromised by that behavioral level change. So you need to go below the surface. This is why a lot of cognitive work doesn't produce results because we're trying to do everything at the thinking level. And a lot of our self-preservation instinct is at the very non-thinking level, at a very below conscious awareness level. So the secondary gain is right down there of, okay, I, you know, what do I get to avoid through being angry? What does being angry do for me? Start to look at those deeper unmet needs, deal with those in a healthy way, And then there's no need for that surface level crazy behavior that's driving us mad. It just melts away. We don't then need to do anything about it. So the work I do with clients, particularly in small groups and one-to-one, focuses a lot on the secondary gain. That's what we do actually in step four of ditching imposter syndrome is we look at the secondary gain. What was imposter syndrome doing for me? What do I get to avoid by having it? And by clearing out those deeper needs because very few of them are actually real or rational. They're picked up from when we're children, often even pre-verbal as self-preservation. By clearing that out, the imposter syndrome often goes of its own accord. Right. Fantastic. We try to fix behavioral things. We try to fix things on the surface. We want to, yeah. fix, the, we want to fix the problem immediately because we're taken away by what's happening. And mm. when you actually accept and step back and breathe, you actually get to see what's happening inside you. You start to become an observer of yourself. Exactly. And you're not subject to, but you're actually able to make that distinction or take a balcony view, step back and look at yourself from the balcony and look at how you're actually behaving. Look at how you're actually reacting, getting triggered and look at how the other person's reacting and getting triggered and the whole scenario. Exactly. If we go straight in, we're in in the middle of what I call the mind story drama we often end up fixing the wrong problem. And I know this back in my engineering days, I was one of the first people in Europe to specialize in Six Sigma and lean manufacturing. And I know how often in Six Sigma as a problem solving strategy, the surface level problem was not actually the one that we needed to fix. And this is actually the same approach I apply now and have done for the last 17 years that I've been doing this work is, okay, we have the surface level symptoms and you might well want a sticky plaster for those because they hurt. But the real change happens at that deeper below the surface level that just brings this incredible sense of relief when you see somebody and they've cleared that out. And I know you'll know this through your work. Yeah. 
and they've cleared that out and you know that they're never going to have to do that again. Yeah, they don't have to do that whole you know, same story, different actors thing again. Right, exactly. I see the whole patterns repeating again and again, and then I find myself <laughs> getting stuck in this plateau and things that got me here aren't getting me further ahead. So what's happening and what's going on? So yes, we need to look at what's happening at a much deeper level, reconstruct ourselves and discover who we're trying to become. So before we close this episode, would you like to share one last message with the audience? I'd like to say that if any of this has resonated with you today, please don't beat yourself up about it, okay? There is nothing broken. There is nothing to fix. It's simply that there's some stuff running below the surface that is causing you pain rather than joy. And there is plenty that you can do to set yourself free from this. And once you've got the awareness that you're running something like imposter syndrome, that is the single bit. And you're not alone. Yeah, you yeah. are not alone. <laughs> exactly. We all have this. You have this too, uh, Claire. I've, I bet. I've had it. I've had it. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't affect me that way now. Now, yeah. if an imposter syndrome thought comes up, which it still can, yes. it no longer has the drama dance. And I take that as, okay, I think at some level, I'm not yet the person I need to be to achieve this. Great. What do I need to do to become that person? And that's how it happens for me now. So if this is happening for you, you can reach that stage two where these thoughts come up and you can either consciously go, actually, that is total nonsense, fine, that's gone. Or, great, that means that part of me wants me to know I don't yet see myself as being the person I need to be to achieve that. So great, what action can I take towards that starting today? Fantastic. Thank you so much for being here with us. For those who want to get in touch with Claire, her website, C-L-A-R-E-J-O-S-A.com. I'll put the links in the show notes. Do uh, book her for to speak in your organization. <laughs> I'm sure she'll be great. So thank you very much. And thank if you, you like so the episode, much. do head over to iTunes and give us a rating. Look forward to seeing you again here in two weeks. And until then, stay cool. 